0: read for us, that's Acts chapter 11. That's where we're going to be anchoring ourselves in this morning. Uh, Let's pray for God's help as we open it up together. O Lord our God, your word is more precious than gold or silver. It is sweeter to the tongue than honey and it is a lamp that guides our feet along the paths of righteousness. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, would you speak clearly and powerfully to us this morning, confronting us in our sins and comforting us in our sorrows. Lord, we pray that not only would the words of my mouth, but the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I wonder if you're able to complete this sentence for me. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. I think that's a kind of a mantra, that's a motto that fits really well, doesn't it? For a lot of the way that people view the world, they view their responsibilities. It's easy to, your family, they're the kind of thing that holds you back. They're the name that gets in the way, but choosing your friends they're the ones that you really guess on with, and they're also the ones you can ditch when they're guessing in your way. Our preference is to self-define. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you're not, it's wonderful to have you here, but one of the key things about being a Christian is that by the Spirit, you have been born again. To be born again means not just that you have new life, but it means that you have been given a new family. A family which you do not choose, but a family into which you have been brought by the cross of Jesus Christ. This phrase, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends, it's one that's so powerful, but it's one that's not really fit for the Christian life or for the local church. Actually, I think one of the best ways that this is subversive and turnaround comes from the lips of one of the wisest men, which is Atticus Finch. I don't know if any of you were like me, having to read through To Kill a Mockingbird when you were at school. Uh, The experience, maybe like me, where you really enjoyed reading the book until you got to discuss it in class and it became very boring. But one of the really interesting moments in it is this part where the main character, a young girl called Scout, she is talking about wanting to invite one of her classmates around to her home. Her aunt, overhearing this, says, it's fine for you to be friends with him, but his kind is not to be allowed in this home. He's not part of our people. He lives out in the woods, but he does not belong in this home. And Scout's older brother's there, and he says, what happens if he were family? And she goes, even then, his kind do not belong in our home. And the brother again said, auntie, Asicus says, that's their dad, you can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you, no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. When we don't acknowledge who is part of our family, the one that God has put into us into, we look right silly. I don't know if we're allowed to call people silly as Christians. But that's what we are when we refuse to acknowledge those people that God himself has poured out his love upon. God himself has redeemed and made part of his family through his son, Jesus. And that's what we're going to be thinking about together this morning. I've got two points and they're built around two verses. If you have a look at me again at the Bible and the passage that we read, Acts chapter 11, have a look at me at verse 2. So it says there, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, key word, criticized him, saying, and then have a look at me at verse 12. And the Spirit, this is Peter talking, and the Spirit told me to go with the making, again key word here, no distinction. That's the same word in the original language. It's this picture of separating people out. And these are the two big points that we're going to look at here, whom God has joined as one people, they are his people and we are to acknowledge them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our two big points this morning then are, the first is this, get that out of here, get that out of here. So we're jumping into Acts, this is what we're working through as a church in St. Andrew, so I know we're kind of jumping in midway here, so let me give you a key part that helps us understand what's going on here. If you flick back of me a few pages to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 reads like this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Jesus here, risen from the dead, appearing to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, this was the mission, this was the plan, the purpose that God has set for His church, that they are to be witnesses to tell people about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in His name in Judea and in Jerusalem and Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and the ends of the earth is where we find ourselves this morning. This is, G- this is Peter coming back to Jerusalem telling them about the momentous news that the gospel, that the good news about Jesus Christ is going to the ends of the earth. Because what's happened in the chapter previous to this is we get the very first convert outside of the Jewish and Samaritan people, Cornelius. And this is what's going on and this is where we find ourselves in verse 1. There's been a converse, Peter has eaten with him, and when this comes back to Jerusalem, the disciples, the church there, are not happy with what has happened. Have a look at what they say there in verse 3. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That he is being criticised here for doing this. He is meant to be distinguished from them. As a Jew and a Gentile, Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew, you are not meant to associate together. You see, the key characteristic of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, was their holiness, it was their purity. And the chief place that this was seen was at the dinner table. You see, it was seen at the dinner table, both in what they ate and who was sat there with them as they ate together. Hospitality was the place where holiness and (laughs) purity was seen. And we see this here where the issue comes up is that those people whom Peter has eaten with are not worthy to be in his presence because they are not circumcised. Look at the way to verse 2. The circumcision party criticise him because he's with those who weren't circumcised. Circumcision was the mark that God put on his chosen people. But what we're going to see is that a new mark, a new thing has been given to God's people to distinguish them. And so then the issue here is not, as we see there in verse 1, it's not about the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people Hearing the word, hearing the gospel, hearing the news about the grace of God, but it's about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. You see, the problem here for the Jewish people is they think that there's another step that these Gentiles must take before they are, uh, before they are made holy, before their purification happens. And what goes on then is they're building this kind of two-tier church. And what they're saying is, is these Gentiles are not to be part of that. They have to get out of here. This is the attitude of the Jewish people, is that they are not cleansed, they have not been made pure, and they don't belong Now, it's wonderful being here, seeing people here from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different types of places. And I imagine no one here is going to be as brazen to say this, that you don't belong here. But I think it's the harsh attitude that we see here is what we need to be careful about. I've uh, been read this book over Christmas by a guy called Mes McConnell. Some of you might have heard of him before. He leads a church down in Nidri in Edinburgh. He leads uh, a groups targeting planting churches in some of the poorest housing schemes around Scotland. Many of you know Andy Robertson here, who's uh, in Charleston taking part in that. And he tells the story of this kind of attitudes and the way that it manifests itself within a local church. He talks about one time where he was part of a church and he brought some of the youth there to go to Uganda to help street children there. At the end of the time, one of the boys uh, who was a teenager coming up to go into university, he was so struck by his time there that he was talking about putting off university. Instead, going to Bible college, training to be a missionary. Mez talks about how excited and buzzing he was after that, until a couple of days later, when he got a knock on the door, and there were two irate parents there. And they were telling him off because he was putting wrong ideas in the head of their son, And he said, surely it's a good thing that he wants to do work for the gospel in some of the least reached places. And this is how they responded. They say, it's okay for people like you. My son has options. We're not going to let him throw his life away by wasting on those people. You see, there, what happens is they're putting, instead of putting their new identity in Christ front and center, shaping all their decisions. They're allowing other things define who they are and the people who they will commit their lives to. And there's language in the New Testament that Paul uses to describe Christians. He says this, to be a Christian is to have put on Christ. It is to have taken on new clothing and saying, this is who I am. And what the problem is here for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, the problem here with those parents that we're talking about, is that they, instead of seeing Christ as the defining thing, put other things in front of that. And that shapes them the way they understand their role within the church. They refuse to see the new clothing that they have, that others have, because they've forgotten their own. This is what Paul says. Let me read it to you. This is from Galatians 3, you can check it out later. But he says this for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is what the big point is here is the issue where they're putting These other things in the way. Uh, Now, I think the last time I was here, I mentioned this. I'm a very proud Irishman. So yesterday was a wonderful day watching the rugby. It started off well, and it seemed to only get better. But actually, at one moment, I noticed the way my prejudices bubbled up during that second match between Scotland and England you see, I'm actually also an avid rugby fan. I'm not just in February when the Six Nations start, but every single week I'm watching rugby, every single week I'm watching highlights on YouTube. And um, There's one team down in England called Harlequins in London, and they are fantastic to watch and play. And one of their key players was playing for England yesterday. Normally he does wonderful things, scores great tries, and I just clap to myself when I'm watching him. But when he scored a try yesterday for England, and I kind of gave this thumbs up i went oh arrogant englishman isn't he <laughs> it's funny isn't it the moment he wears a different jersey how quickly my attitude changes towards him and this is what we are being warned about here where we don't see christ whom god has we don't see christ on people whom god has named under his name who belong to his Family, And that's what Peter is dealing with here, talking to these Jews. That's why this is being recorded for us. Their attitude is, get those out of here who have not been circumcised. And Peter is saying, no, get that attitude out of the church. It does not belong. Instead, he says this, get on board with what God is doing. That's our second point this morning. Get on board with what God is doing. You see, what Peter then does is, after this, verse 4, Peter began and explained to them in order. And here, we'll, this is a, he recounts the story of chapter 10, and we don't have the time to go through everything, but there's three key things that he wants them to see here. He wants them to see the divine vision, the divine voice, and the divine visit. Have a look at me at verse 6. He's here, he's seeing this vision. And looking at it closely, we've got all this large sheet coming down. I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And then the voice says, rise Peter, kill and eat. Remember what we said earlier on, that the key for holiness and purity for the people of Israel was seen at the dinner table. And that was key in the things that they were eating. And Peter here is seeing all these unclean things, and he must be shivering. Imagine, think of it in this way, imagine it's the 2nd of January, you've just started your New Year's diet, and someone says, oh, I forgot to give you a Christmas present, and it's filled with chocolates and crisps and sweets. You say, no, stay away from me. That's unclean, that's dirty, it's not meant for my body. That's what's going on here. Peter knows that these are markers of holiness and purity. To eat these means that you're not following God's good word and will for your life. So he's saying, stay away from me. But here then we hear the divine voice telling us of this enormous shift in history. Have a look at me at verses 8 and 9. This is really kind of cleverly put together, this whole section. And 8 and 9 are kind of like the key, the high points of this. Look at the way that they match each other. Verse 8. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Verse 9. But the voice answered a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Here is the twist. Here maybe is one of the most fundamental changes in human history. We're here, I imagine most of us, because of what Peter here is talking about. He's using this picture of unclean food to talk about the unclean Gentiles who have been made clean, who have been purified, who have been made holy because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who are now part of God's divine, eternal family. God declares these people clean. And this then is confirmed by the divine visit. Uh, Have a look of me there where the, uh, the... Verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them verse 15 when he's with the gentiles as i began to speak the holy spirit speaking about the gospel the good news about jesus the holy spirit fell on them just as at the beginning here again this is all the ends of the earth this is the next stage if you in the book of acts the holy spirit first falls down on the people at pentecost in acts chapter 2 That falls down on the people of Jerusalem and Judea. Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit comes down on the Samaritans. And finally here, the Holy Spirit is coming to the ends of the earth as the gospel is preached. The Spirit is given to all those who hear the gospel of grace, the good news about Jesus, believe it, and the Spirit is given to them. And this divine visit, this... Outpouring of the spirits on the Gentiles is the confirmation that they now belong to God, that they are now part of the people of God. They are now brothers and sisters in Christ with the believers, the Jewish believers, in Jerusalem and Judea. You see here, what he's saying is you've had the same experience. Verse 15 uh, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. This is the same thing that happened to us, and this means they are the same as us. Verse seventeen. Have a look at me there. If God then, if then God gave them the same, gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here they have been given the same gift, the Holy Spirit. Um, In Acts chapter 2, the first time when the Spirit fell on the people of God, Peter described this using uh, the words of the Old Testament prophet Joel. Joel foretold of a time when God would pour out his Spirit abundantly on his people, on all people. Prior to that, the Holy Spirit was given to key members. But here, every person who was part of the people of God would get the Holy Spirit get the same Holy Spirit the same amount of the Holy Spirit Um, I don't know about you but when I go out for meals whenever I see on the menu sticky toffee pudding I can't pick anything else I don't normally ask for it in other times but if it's there I'll always go for it now what makes a really good sticky toffee pudding it's the sauce isn't it Sometimes it's really sad when you just get this small layering over the top. Because what happens is when you take a few bites, there's none left and you're stuck with dry pudding. What you really want is you want it to be soaked in the sauce, don't you? You want it all to be dripping in it, working its way through. So every single bite is drenched in this sauce. That's the same picture that we see here. God gives his spirit to every single one of his people. The same amount for every single one of his people. It's not a situation where Andy and Will have got more of the spirits than anyone else here. No, God gives an equal gift, the same gift of the spirits to all his people. He doesn't give a different spirit depending on your background. So it's not like the Jews have got one spirit and the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, have another spirit. No, we all have the same Lord. We are all part of the same family. We have the same Father and the same spirit. Part of the problem in the church sometimes that we see nowadays, I'm, maybe some of you here have been through this, where you've been told that, Yes, you became a Christian when you believed, but you need a new, a fresh anointing of the Spirit to move into the next level. But this passage here tells you, no, you don't. An authentic Christian is one who has heard the word, who has received the word, who has believed the word. And when they have heard, received, and believed the word, the Holy Spirit has been given to them the same as everyone else. You see, the Holy Spirit indwells God's people. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people for mission. That's what we saw in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit, the power of God, is given to his people so that they might go out and be witnesses. But also the Holy Spirit is given to unite God's people as one body, one family. And so then what we see here from this divine vision, this divine voice, and this divine visit, Peter then sums up in his verdict, who was I that I could stand in God's way? You see, what he had seen is God had shown grace and mercy to the least likely He had shown his love to an unholy and unclean and unpure people, impure people. And said, these are mine. What Peter says is, you can see that there in verse 17. If then God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. Who was I that could stand in his way? Go back to verse 12. The spirit told me to go with them making no distinction. You see, what has happened in the gospel is that the barrier between Jews and Gentiles has been broken and abolished and abrogated through the cross of Jesus Christ. God's people are joined together through his blood. His blood is thicker than our shared interests. His blood is thicker than our backgrounds. What joins us together is nothing else apart from God bringing us into new life and into his family by his Holy Spirit, all those who have received the word and believed in it. In the Old Testament, there's the story of Jonah. Jonah, who ran away when called to share the word with the people of Nineveh, the Gentiles, it ends when he finally goes, shares a word with them, and they repent. And at the very end of the book, he's mourning it, and he says to God, "The reason I didn't do this is because I knew you were gracious and merciful." And the book ends with him. There's no conclusion. It's left unsolved. And I think one of the way, what that means in that book is saying to the people of Israel. Will you accept who God brings into your family? That's the question here for the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It's the question for us. Will we accept all those whom God has brought into his family? Even the most unlikely. So often we can bring the prejudices from our old lives. I can bring my Irish prejudice for English people. All those who have believed in Jesus are part of his family. And the major thrust of this passage, because the way that it's bookended is this picture here of how the Jewish believers are meant to accept. But I want to say is, there might just be some people here who feel like they haven't been accepted into this family. Who feel like they just don't fit in. And what I want to say is, you belong here if you have believed in Jesus. You are part of God's family. Even if you feel odd and different, you are at home here. Jesus Christ has cleansed you. Jesus Christ has brought you through his death to be part of his family. You are welcome at the dinner table with him. But for the rest of us, look where this finishes. Look at verse 18 with me. So it began with them criticizing Peter. Then verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so I think there's two things. It's the big message that we've been talking about. It's this reminder that whoever has heard the gospel has received the spirit and is part of our family. God has granted them repentance that leads to life. But secondly, what the book of Acts is doing is it's telling us about the mission of God's people. That we are called to make the gospel known, to be witnesses to him from Judea and Jerusalem to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so our duty is to make the gospel known to all people, making no distinction, walking in the way of the Spirit And so what that means is that we are called to go to everyone. We can't decide to ourselves that maybe we fit in better in certain groups. So those are the people who are going to hear the gospel. No, the message here for God's church is that this is a message for the entire world. This is the invitation to join God, get on board with him, following his Holy Spirit to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth, making no distinction because God makes no distinction because whoever calls on the name of the Lord belongs to the Lord and belongs at his table. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this wonderful good news that we have been brought into your kingdom. We have been taken out of the darkness and brought into your marvelous light. That we belong to you and your spirit indwells us. So we pray for your spirit to lead us, to walk us along the paths of righteousness, to love those whom have been made part of our family. Help us not to discriminate. Help us not to allow our worldly concerns to shape us and prejudice us against others. We pray, Lord, that the church would be a shining example of the place where all are welcome, regardless of backgrounds, regardless of what they have done or not done. Help us to be a people who reach out to the least likely, who serve the unlovable, who break down barriers, knowing that you have broken down the barriers in the death of your son, Jesus. Let us rejoice in our family. Help us to love our brothers and sisters. And we pray that we as a church would be a beacon of hope, of light, and of unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to have.